Let's bow. Father, we're grateful for the, the chance to worship you already this morning. Father, we're thankful for the, the songs that were sung and the hearts that were touched. Father, we pray that we will always be a blessing for you and and uh, what, what we hear here and, and the way we apply it during our week. Father, we're grateful for Dean and his class. Thank you for all that we're learning uh, this, uh, this morning as well as the last several weeks. Father, thank you for um, men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and um, the wisdom that he had that still applies today. Father, we know that all is based on your word, which we are so grateful for in the way it guides our lives. Father, help us to listen intently today. Help us to apply what we learn. Uh, Father, help us to be open to the Holy Spirit, and we pray that it will guide us. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. All right, we're, we're continuing kind of what we, uh, we started last week, didn't quite get a chance to finish. So there's a theme that, and then we'll, 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 we'll uh, move on into the next section of the book and another place in Scripture. But, but here's a way to think about this, tying it all together. First of all, last week we talked about rhythm and how incredibly important that always is in our lives, but especially when we live in a chaotic, kind of disconnected, out-of-rhythm world right now. And so last week we talked a lot about this, this idea of, of ordering the movement of our day, even from, the, from our waking moment, uh, connecting to God. Uh, as you'll see, probably next week we'll get to the, the way we close the day. So that's one piece of it. The other thing to think about that, that I think ties together what we talked about last week and what we'll talk about today is uh, think about those times when words themselves or words alone can't capture the moment. Have you ever been in a place where um, the words that you have can't express what's going on inside? It could be a, a, a moment of deep pain or tragedy. It could be a moment of deep joy. Either way, words, just our words, don't seem to quite get it done. Um, I'll bookend this with a couple of, of experiences I've had um, as a chaplain, often I find myself in a spot like that. But I remember uh, it was Father's Day, I don't know, two or three years ago. I got called in uh, by the sheriff's office to go in, into a house where uh, a man, 40, 45-year-old man, lost his father on Father's Day weekend. Um, and often I, I'm called to go and help do the notification of the death so I can minister to the family. But in this case, he already knew it. Um, what he wanted was was a chaplain to come in and pray over his father in the house before they took him away. And I remember walking in there thinking, and Keith, you know, you have moments you're called in the jail to do like this, uh, things like this. I'm looking at Ken and others that, I mean, you have moments as shepherds to do things. Uh, and I remember thinking, I, I don't have words of my own in that moment. Now I will do it and offer that, but that's one of the reasons I have made it a practice to carry with me the Book of Common Prayer. Because there are prayers that have been prayed for centuries over moments like that. And so I told the man and his wife there, I said, I'm, I'm, I will pray my own words for him as well. But I want you to know I'm going to begin by praying words that have been prayed to people in the moment of death for 1,500 years. And I started praying that, those words. And I'll never forget that moment. And we then went outside and interacted and, and have some connections in that time. But, but I remember thanking God that I didn't have to start. I didn't have to be the one initiating the language. Now, we talked about this last time. We never initiated. God always initiates any speech or interaction we have as human beings with the creator of the universe. But isn't it cool that there are moments in time where we can do that um, even in our day in and day out life? There, that is a reason that this section that we'll, we'll look at here now in Bonhoeffer's Book of Life Together says 
in addition to praying whatever prayers that we have, common prayers of the church, it has been the long-standing practice of the church to pray the Psalms. The Psalms, the, the 150 Psalms that are in Scripture, have been the prayer book and the song book of the church before there was a church. For at least 1,500 years or so, people have been praying and worshiping and devoting through these words. So as we always do, I'll bring uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's words in this section uh, in as part of the conversation. But let's start just with looking at an example of how psalms, the psalms, can lead us to prayer and worship and connection with God. Um, so if you have your Bibles, your phones, your devices, turn to Psalm 103. It's one of my favorite in all of Scripture. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll look at it in different chunks. But here, here's what I think about. Let's just appreciate this psalm, and especially when I'm reading the psalms. We always do this, but I encourage you to, to let it wash over you. And if there's a word or phrase that just grabs your soul, throw that out. Let's talk about it. Um, and we can just talk about the question, how does David pray or praise here? And, and what can we learn from him about how to pray? Because that's what we're doing when we come to psalms. It's almost like coming to the school of prayer. So let's look at Psalm 103. And we'll take it in, in sections. Let's start with uh, the first six verses. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Let me read that again. What do you notice about prayer? What can we learn about prayer? What do we learn about God from here? Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Anything you notice? What do you, what do you notice here about God, about prayer? Anything at all from, from the Psalms here? Shout out, and I'll repeat anything or uh, anything else. Indeed, I think the thing that hits me first about those first few verses is just the the he he repeats the word praise, praise, and it makes me think of thankfulness. Just in everything, be thankful. And then he describes. I, I know he describes me being redeemed from the pit and and, and my own selfish sinfulness. Um, and I think it's interesting how he he. He, uh, there toward the end, he really brings out youth, the youthfulness. Right. That we, and the, and kind of, it's almost like we rise up on the wings of eagles, even though we're stupid when we're young. That's kind of the way I look at it. <laughs> I love that. Yes, we, yes. I love that. That's great. And, and that's part of what he experiences when he comes authentically to God in prayer here. He's not just saying, I, I'm young or whatever. He, He's saying, God, God is the one who restores my vigor and my strength. And he doesn't always feel that way. Go to half the Psalms. You know, often uh, uh, David is the one saying, my strength is, is poured out. It's dried out like a broken piece of pottery, one of his metaphors. 
Uh, and yet, in prayer, when he comes to God and does some of the things he's doing, even in this moment, God restores and renews and refreshes. Uh, how often is it the case that we have to go? If you're like me, I'll go to any number of things for refreshment. What he says is, is the Lord will literally be the one that refreshes and restores and renews, and he will do that in that conversation, in part when it is authentic and real. So I appreciate that. Yeah, what else do you see? Uh, Dean, uh, so often uh, all, all these things uh, occur in our innermost being, and it's, but we so often forget. We forget. A little closer. We, we forget in our innermost being what God has done, all these things that you've mentioned. The, the forgetfulness is, is so common in our humanity to yeah. forget. Powerful. To, to look at this. This is one of the things. Again, spending time in the psalm. We're just looking at one of them here, and I know you've gone to them a thousand times. But one of the things that will happen when you go repeatedly to the psalms is you will see certain patterns of prayer that might more and more become our own. One of the things I consistently notice in the Psalms is some version of what he says here. Forget not his benefit. Like, I'm recalling to mind. Let me, other, other Psalms will say it like this. Let me recount the great deeds of the Lord. And in fact, many of the Psalms will be telling the story of God all over again, right? There is something about in my time in, in prayer with God of telling God, but really I'm telling me, God knows it, but I'm telling me again in the presence of God what God's already done for me. And you mentioned one, Keith, he, he is redeeming my life from the pit, from the mire, not just mine. You will notice again and again it's a communal prayer, like God stepped in for Israel when they were lost and broken and exiled and all of that. There is something about recounting, reciting, and repeating the works of God that he's done up until now that can help remind my broken soul that he will do it again. Does that make sense? There is something about that. And the Psalms will literally help us do that. When we begin praying, and I want to encourage you to do this, and Bonhoeffer talks about this as well, start with the words of the Psalm, start with his, and then make it your own, right? So how did he redeem your life from the pit? And tell him again, God, I remember when you came and grabbed me when I was running 100 miles away and you picked me back up and you dusted me off and you put me back. I remember when we had no idea where we were going as a church and God, you turned it around and you did great, right? Tell him there is something about remembering, remembering and recounting, which is the point of much of scripture. <laughs> but we can do it in prayer, not just in sermons and stories. That makes sense? So beautifully said, thank you. Very much, Keith. Anything else in this opening section? Yes. Uh, Keith? The other Keith? Dane? <clears throat> yes. Back here. Sorry. That's a lot. <laughs> He's a shepherd. He can move the tape, just so you know. <laughs> just to go along with what Keith was saying, I was thinking similarly, but I have this when I was pregnant with um, Elijah, we, I gave birth in Africa, and there was no one there but the doctor and Dave. And I was used to, with my first child, someone was encouraging me. Like, the nurses were like, you can do it. You can do it, you know. And so <laughs> there was nobody there, so I was telling myself. I'm like, you can do it. You can, I, like, I was talking out loud, you know. But it's the same. It's the remembering, but it's encouraging. Like, you encourage yourself to remember. Yes. Like, come on, don't forget. Don't forget God can do this. You know, just that. Um, it's a remembering but an encouraging at the love same that. time. It's beautiful. He's over there now. He's moving on you. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Sorry. Oh, no. That, <laughs> Keith, you're getting a workout today, man. Wear your sweats tomorrow. Uh, 
Yes, so while you're walking slowly, Kimberly will talk, yeah. Um, I was looking at um, the fourth verse and the sixth verse, mm -hmm. and the fourth verse about the pit part, and then the sixth verse about the oppression. And wow, being Jesus finding me in my darkness, in my pit, when I was oppressed, and what a beautiful picture. I will never forget that, mm -hmm. and I will never stop talking about the That's love beautiful. that Jesus yeah. had for me and came and found me <laughs> when I was in such darkness. Mm -hmm. And that speaks volumes right there to me, that the Lord works righteousness, and he does, and he works it through Jesus today, yeah. every single day. And it's the prayer of people who have prayed for me Ooh, I love and that. my community of of re recovery people, the intercessory prayer is powerful, and it is a reminder that yes. Jesus is still alive yep. and active and works. <laughs> He's done it before. He'll do it again. It and is. we need to hear this in prayer. We need to hear it in our community as well. Yeah. My turn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, three things. Number one, in verse three, he heals all our diseases. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't want to underestimate COVID or anything, but this isn't his first rodeo, and he's healed right. diseases before, and he'll, he'll heal this one, yes. heal this one too. Number two, in verse four, uh, it's like the uh, prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son, he literally was in the pit of pigs, and when he came home, oh, he gave him beautiful. his robe and his, his, gave him his crown yep. with love and compassion. So wow. The robe and the ring that the prodigal son received with love and compassion. Oh, so beautifully said. And uh, the third thing is who satisfies your desires with good things. Mm -hmm. You know, Satan wants to take our desires and satisfy them with bad things. Exactly. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, okay, it's all right to have a desire. As yes. long as I say, okay, God, I've got a desire, but don't try to fill it with Satan, but say, God, you're going to fill it with a good thing. Oh, I if love I'll that. If I'll let him fill my desires with good things, yes. I'll find my life goes a lot smoother. Oh, powerful, so powerful. That reminds me, I love that. All of those things are rich. Um, my favorite part of that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. I will, I will paraphrase this from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Maybe you remember this. But, but he said, we, we are satisfied by far too little, he said. I, I grew up in a church setting thinking that the problem was I wanted too much. I desired too much. The problem were my desires. Wrong. The problem was I was desiring too little, not too much. This way C.S. Lewis says it. <laughs> she said, Okay. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They, I mean, he might have quoted elsewhere too, but it is a mere Christianity where he says, We are like kids playing, satisfied with playing in the mud when we've been offered a vacation at the beach. He says, Holiday, because he's, he's English, but vacation at the beach, right? So, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I pray now, God, would you turn my desires up for what does fill me, for what is good? And I love that you bring that out. God is the one who satisfies desires. By the way, God is the one who gave us our desires. And God is the one that's wise enough to know the place where our desires are going to be most deeply filled. And not the substitutes, the cheap substitutes we give, right? The, the other thing you mentioned, Keith, I want to go back to in this opening section also, right? Notice this, and, and I think this is something you referred to, Becky, as well. There is, throughout the Psalms a powerful practice of self-talk. <laughs> he talks to himself. But it's usually not just himself, it's his soul. He's talking to his inner being. He's speaking back to himself. Words of God or words of God's truth or the gospel truth 
Anybody ever talk to themselves? <laughs> it's okay to admit, you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can't, right? Did you know that's actually a holy practice? Um, again, something I didn't realize before. The stuff that pops in my brain doesn't have to be given, um, you know, free reign. Does that make sense? Uh, Luther's quote, right? You can't stop the birds from flying around, but you can stop them from building nests in your hair. Paul's language, take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. That's not just with temptation. You know, that's with fear. That's with doubt. That's with lies about who I am. So here's, a, he's talking to his soul. Soul, <laughs> Dean, inner Dean, would you turn, would you remember the God who made you instead of COVID and all the other craziness, right? I can, I can get distracted with a thousand fears and David says, I'm going to talk to my own soul. <laughs> uh, there's another one. It was like Psalm 24 or something like that where he says, my soul said, I want to be close to you. And, and, then, and then he says, my soul cried out to you. Like he has this little inner dialogue and it sounds really weird. And yet that's a very natural practice. Can we allow ourselves in the rhythm of the Psalms to get in step with talking? Go ahead and talk to yourself. And then turn it in kind of this sacred movement to the one who made you. It's a powerful thing. What really strikes me about this psalms that's really, really powerful is just a sheer confidence of the writer um, and, and, and being able to, to realize that, that through thick, thick or thin is that God's got this. And I guess from my personal experience, um, I guess I basically looked down a gun barrel of death a whole lot, you know, with the military and um, look, look at the experience from the diving situation where um, I basically had to, um, you know, paralyze, had, had to find a way to walk out of the hospital. And I could see that car, God just carved the path of the no-sayers and totally silence the no-sayers in a, in a very powerful way to give me a chance to persevere and find a way to walk out. And they told me that only three divers have actually walked out of the hospital after um, that type of um, event of, of the nitrox going through the heart, hitting the brain. I mean, you're dead. I was dead. And um, so that kind of keeps me sober. I bet. Powerful. Thank you. And, and one of the things I love about what you said there, Michael, is, is he says, David, and here's the way I would say it. David sounds very confident here. He sounds very confident. Why is he saying, though, soul forget not his benefits? Because intellectually he believes this, but sometimes his heart didn't. Isn't that right? Like, look at Psalm 22. Jesus quoted Psalm 22 on the cross. Jesus isn't the one that wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David did. So there are times when we are not as confident in our hearts, and so we pray our way into it. I love that. Uh, I, again, i got to throw this little, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so you'll, you'll forgive me of sports analogy. But, but I remember they were doing, um, like, the top 100 players of all time or whatever, and they had uh, several of the quarterbacks, the great quarterbacks, talking. And Brett Favre, who's always good for a quote, right? He's sitting there talking, and he said, look, I learned this from Holmgren, his coach. He said, I learned basically to lie to the men in the huddle. Not in a bad way, but here's the way. It, they'd be down, you know, there's 20 seconds left. They're down six points, and he gets in the huddle. He said, oh, man, we're going to win this game. And he said, 
I'm being honest with you. Inside, I thought, there is no way in the world we can do this. But I, as the leader, had to project to my people, we're going to win this game. I think we can do that to our own hearts at times. Not, he's doing it just out of athletic ability. We're doing out of it the gospel promises of Jesus. To say, look, I don't feel it right now. Don't we have to do this for each other in community? I don't see it right now, but I know it to be true. So soul, I'm going to say it even if I don't feel it. And then he will grow into the very confidence that he's speaking. Isn't that powerful? Thank you for bringing that out. That's part of what we do in our prayers as I, we pray ourselves into it. Uh, David Fleer and I talk a lot about this. We will do that in teaching and preaching. Uh, he, he talked about a season his life's been true for me too, where he was like, he preached his way back into his heart. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr., my favorite thing, right? We're in Black History Month. Let's honor this fact. My, my favorite sermon is his mountaintop uh, speech sermon the night before he died, right? But what is so meaningful to me about that, if you know anything about this story, he, didn't, he was not supposed to even speak that night. Did you know that? He wasn't even there. And the guy who was giving the speech calls him up on the phone, and he says, Martin, they don't want me. They want you. Would you get down here? And all of the accounts was that he was despondent because what was intended to be a nonviolent movement became a violent movement. And he was hurt. He was overcome. He was feeling a little bit hopeless. And all accounts, go listen to the speech again. He preached his way into the confidence that he was proclaiming to his people, and he gave his life for it. Isn't that powerful? We can do that in prayer. It's okay to start wherever you are, despondent, hopeless, fearful, and speak to your soul and speak the promises of God and see if that doesn't come back around. Let's read a little bit more and keep talking on this. Um, 7 through 12. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let me read that again. What do you notice here? God has made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What do you notice here? Visualization. Visualization. <laughs> he, God. Oh, no, go ahead, Keith. And then Jacqueline. God gives us great visualization in this. It, yeah. he, he continues to do that. We don't have to just come up with something on our own. Oh, he it. has given us uh, gr great. Uh, look back on Moses, the Israelites. Looking back, we can just uh, make a path for, uh, I mean, he has made a path for us. I love that. understand west yes. the, the compassion the love god, god paints that doesn't he for us and one of the things you notice about david fleer's style for example he's inviting us not just to hear this bible story but enter into it that's exactly what we're invited to do with all of scripture it 
David is here. He's not living in Moses' time, but he's stepping back into an encounter with the same God who split the sea in half and led Moses out, right? I'm living that story out. And Israel is really good about saying, this is us, not them back then. Does that make sense? Shock. Yeah. Yeah, I think you already said what I was going to say. David had, um, um, he, he searched for God's heart. He knew God's heart. And that's why he can speak this with confidence. He's not speaking this like could happen. He's speaking this like it did happen. It is going to happen. And, and I think what he's giving us is a challenge to find God's own heart, that we can be that confident also. I love that. Yes, he's seen this again and again and again. So he's speaking out of what he has already experienced. And again, because he is, in this case, he's a leader of God's people, he's a member of God's people, he's speaking not just what he has experienced, but what the people of God have always experienced. This is why it's really important for us to recognize there's not Old Testament Christians, New Testament Christians. It is the, the whole story of God. And as Paul himself says, Abraham's my dad too. You know, we get grafted into this story. So these are our ancestors, right? These are our stories that we get woven into the story of God so we can know. You know, this has happened before and it happens again. Uh, by the way, I think this is important. I know you'll kind of laugh when I say this, but let me just remind you. This is in the Old Testament. Just in case you're like me and that I grew up with this idea that law was Old Testament and grace came in the new and that God was the mean mountain-shaking God in the Old Testament and he's the gracious Jesus, you know, lamb-holding. No. <laughs> Hear me. What, what, what David is doing here, and again, this is important for prayer. He didn't make up the words in the middle of the song. There is a confession throughout the Old Testament that describes God. One of the most consistent descriptions of God throughout the Old Testament. Let me give you an example of it. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. So you remember this, God? God brings the people out. He's in the wilderness. Moses is kind of fumbling and stumbling through the wilderness with this crazy ragtag group of people. Moses, one of my favorite stories, Moses is hanging out with God day in and day out. Remember this? It says he spoke to God like, a, like, a, 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 like somebody speaks with a friend face to face. And in spite of all of that, Moses shows us the heart of a follower of, of God that says, I want more. <laughs> I want more of you. And so he asks to see the glory of God. And this is what he gets in response. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Uh, if you ask any Jewish person, this is like the heart of the Old Testament confession about who God is. It's repeated again and again and again and again. And this is a critical highlight moment. So I'm just giving you one example Trust me, I could give 20 of them, but you don't need to be, like, machine gunned with this. Let's taste this one. And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who I am. I'm the God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And sometimes we think of God as the one throwing thunderbolts and stuff from heaven. And we haven't read especially the story of Israel in the wilderness. Go read it again sometime. And again and again and again and again, they grumble and complain and want to run back to Egypt. They want to go back to slavery. And again and again, God disciplines. Yes, he does show anger. I don't think God's anger is like ours. I think he is... He is revealing something here. I don't think he's just reacting to them and all that. But it says, I'm slow to anger. I'm quick to forgive. I'm carrying generations of love down the line. 
this is the heart of God. So when David is coming with whatever he's stirred up about, one of the things that's great about the Psalms is it will almost never tell you the situation and there's a reason for it. The same reason that a musician often won't tell you the story behind their song. They want you to step into it and you fill in the blanks, right? And so David is going through something. So what does he do? He doesn't just recount the deeds of the Lord. He goes back and confesses the faith of the people of God. Again and again, he says what you said, Jacques. He knows that God is the God who puts up with a lot. And he says again, would you do it again, God? Would you redeem my life from the pit? Whatever's going on in David's life, would you bring me out of this one like you brought the people out of God again and again and again? Isn't this great? Because again, this is not the picture of the Old Testament God I've got. The picture I get is that God's mean and he's quickly spiteful and vengeful and, and flying. That's not God. This is the confession again and again. Psalm 103 is one of the most important psalms for this reason. It shows us the heart of who God is, not just what he has done. Does that make sense? Yes. Hey, Dane, it also parallels Psalms 40 beautifully as well. There's some of the same language there. Yeah. Yep. Again, I could give you 20 with, examples of where this comes up. Yeah, it's a, with, it is a confession of the Old Testament. So the example is, what are the great confessions of our own faith, right? How can we be, again, I'm not talking about mechanics of prayer. I'm just saying, isn't it, isn't it for us in the New Covenant? Isn't it a very natural thing to look at places that are dead? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of a lot of people attribute to some of these um, times that David experienced. Uh, you know, God was pretty upset about the Bathsheba stuff, and I think that this um, um, choice in his life brought a lot of um, pain for you to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and again, it's not going to define us a whole lot. Let me let me jump in here and give you an image I got. I can't remember. Who gave it? But uh, there's a, a beautiful little book um, called "The Contemporaries Meet the Classics in Prayer." I think there's some other uh, other versions of that book, but it's got like uh, modern day people writing, but also Augustine and others throughout history. And one of them, there's this beautiful description of the Psalms. So imagine this. I might have said it before, but I'll give it to you again. You said, "Imagine the Psalms are like a house that's already been kind of made and put some general stuff in there. You can come in; it's generally furnished, but you can move in the house and make it your own." that kind of cool? So you'll come in, there's a fridge there, there's a couch there, but you get to hang the paintings, you get to move the stuff around, you get to put the food in, you can make it personal. The Psalms are intentionally structured like a home that is um, spare intentionally. Does that make sense? You're not going to get a lot of detailed background stuff. Why? So that you can read it and find your heart moving in. Isn't that great? The Psalms are literally built for that purpose. So you will see expressions of deep grief or struggle or hope or joy, but you get to come in and hang the paintings on the wall. Isn't that cool? I love that image I was given. Somebody was going to say something. Yeah, David. Start shouting, but he'll get to you because shouting does not help the people online. Folks in Togo you work with, yeah? Their view of God was of this God that is... That set the world in motion and then sits over here on high, yes. uninterested. And it's called not, deism, and the founding fathers did that too. Yeah, yeah uninterested. <laughs> and so those people, they, instead of turning to God, they turned to Satan, who they convinced themselves did good and bad. Mm. But the Psalms, and particularly here, David is interacting with and describing a God who is engaged yes. and interacted in community and in the lives in our lives it's not 
It, it's, he is not a God that just sometimes is here and sometimes is there. The, 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 the comfort that is there knowing that Yahweh is literally walking side by side with us yeah. in step. I mean, he wants that engagement and that relationship and just the, the constant interaction of not. I love it. Yes. Does he rebuke us sometimes? Yep. But yep. he also is just so gentle and he wants us to be with him when he it. is with us. Uh, and of course, that's most vividly seen in Jesus, uh, God with us. And so I, I just was thinking about those two different types yeah. of views of so far away and right. I don't really care and I'm not interested anymore. Versus, no, I'm right there with you. Yes, yes. A, a, a theological way to put it, not that this matters, but there is a difference between transcendence and distance. Let me say that again. There's a difference between transcendence and distance. And if we don't hold both of them together, we, we, we totally miss the very nature of God, right? Um, God is not distant. He is imminently involved with the world. My favorite image for this is Jeremiah's. What is the, the image of Jeremiah with God? He is the potter. What does the potter's hands look like? <laughs> right? Smashing stuff in the fingernails and all that. He says God's hands are right in the middle of the muck and the mire and the mess and the beauty of the world. And when we mess it up, God says, great, I'll reform it. Put a little more water on it. I'll knead it. It might hurt for a while. You hear me? It might hurt as I'm reforming it into the beautiful thing for my purpose. God's hands are messy. They've always been messy. And yet, this is what we'll do. So sometimes we'll become deists. And again, I say this. I drop this in from time to time just to remind us, if we ever think politics will redeem us, this was not formed as a Christian nation. You can throw things at me if you want to. They were not fully Christian. They were deists. Go read Thomas Jefferson. They thought God spun the world and then gave them philosophers, largely. And the church will buy into that kind of stuff. So we will pray like, oh, we need God every now and then, and then we'll go and just act like it's all on us. And we'll think really hard, and we'll think we can figure it all out, and we'll think we can define what a church is supposed to look like, and then push other people out because they don't fit our box. That's deism, not God. Okay? So God is in the midst of us, and yet can we not lose transcendence? What does transcendence say? Psalm 145, verse 3, right? Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness, hear this, no one can fathom. There is a mystery to the nature of God. God is wholly other. My ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts than your thoughts. We will never begin to define the nature of God. We will not fully understand him. He will always be the Jesus that leaves us scratching our heads. If we think and act like we've ever figured him out as a church, God forbid. He is in us and in the midst of us and messy, and yet we'll never figure him out. And that's part of the joy, is it not? Isn't that great? We don't get to finish, write the book, put it on the shelf, and then pull it off every now and then when we want it. No, we're in the mix with him. We're on the table as the potter is reworking the clay. So thank you for bringing that out, David. It is really, really powerful and important. I like the... Uh the mathematical or the logical thing that Close goes. I like the mathematical or the logical progression that goes in these few verses here. First, he forgives our sins and heals our diseases. Plus, he redeems us with love and compassion. Plus, he satisfies our desires with good things, which equals renewal for us. Right. I don't do anything in there except get renewed. 
That's right. We receive it. Yes. Yes. We receive it. We're on where the clay moving. And, and yet we do know there t- God invites us into the dance, right? He invites us into the artistry from back back in creation story. God says, now go be fruitful and multiply. So we we dance within the movement of God. But you're right. We initiate nothing. One of the reasons I I love praying from the Psalms is because we learn the language of praise from the language of praise and prayer that God gave us. We don't start it. We don't initiate it. We are always responding in speech to the one who spoke creation into existence. You realize there was never a word before God spoke it. Then we get to respond in dialogue. Does that make sense? All right, let's read one more section. And anything else that you, you notice here? <clears throat> Verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. By the way, we're about to have a service on a Wednesday night off of that passage. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like the flowers of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Wow. What do you notice here as he brings his prayer? You know, Dean, I was thinking uh, when we read those first 12 verses, especially 6 through 12, uh, man, it just sounds like good parents. And then you look at verse 13, it says, as a father has compassion. I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it, he's describing the way that, that God is just like really good parents. Yes, yes. And it's a family relationship. So, again, see the movement of the psalm. You get the God who redeems the life. You got the God who gives the law. You get the God who is kind of out there and above, and yet that he comes so intimate that we can call him father. Good father, right? If you had a bad father image, let that one go and go a different way. But he is the one who is going to step into a healthy, loving, intimate, purposeful family relationship with his people. That's always the way he's been moving. What else do you notice? want a great school of prayer, um, this is an incredible psalm to do it. We pray this until the rhythm of it gets into our hearts, until we begin to see God as this God, right? So do the Brett Favre thing. Pray this until we actually believe this is God. This whole psalm, I've just been thinking, you know how you have magnets or um, T-shirts, you know, choose joy, choose peace, choose love. And those have been mantras through my adult life. Um, because I've I've needed to remember those because your heart is always behind your mind. Whatever you think and whatever you choose will come in your heart. Oh, yes. Sometimes it's six months, maybe it's nine months, maybe it's two years later, but if you keep saying it, eventually it will sink in. Ooh, so good. And I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that in the people's lives that I love dearly and who have let me into their lives. You know, if you just keep thinking it, if it's your mantra, it will happen. And in this scripture, I see it like that little refrigerator magnet. You know, to choose joy, to choose love, to choose happiness, etc. See, this 
refrigerator magnet saying she's trust. Amen. She used intimacy. Yes. And that's what I see this scripture in my head talking about. It's a choice. Yes. What a powerful, what a powerful, it's exactly, and again, can I can't emphasize this strongly enough. That exactly is the reason why throughout the history of prayer, the number one way that the people of God have prayed and learned how to pray is the Psalms. It is, never thought that in. It's the refrigerator magnet. It's the poster on the wall. It's the thing that, you know, the post-it note you put on the mirror, right? It, it is what reminds us of what is most centrally important. And the things we repeat will get in our soul. I remember this coming out when I've, I've told this story, I'm sure, before, but uh, I was um, uh, just, gra- just graduating college, and I went through a really difficult time of anxiety and fear and all this kind of stuff. And all this, I grew up semi-unapologetically on big hair 80s metal. Just telling you. And I'm a, I'm a headbanger, all that kind of stuff. My hair never looked like that. And I couldn't play like that. But I would, I, and Melly will tell you, half the time I didn't know the words. Okay, that's my, my only confession. I didn't know the words. She would tell me. I'm like, don't ruin the song for me. I, I want to just pretend like I don't know what it means. But here's the thing. When I went through a dark, dark time, all those words kept coming up in my head. And some of them were really hopeless. I mean, it was really despairing, especially as we moved in the 90s and, you know, the grunge rock and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying don't listen to rock music. I'm just saying what I repeat comes inside of me. And there is a reason why the people who pray for a living, we'll put it that way. It's a terrible way to describe monks. But they pray the Psalms every month, and they memorize it. They know these words. There is a reason, by the way, it goes all the way back. I'm not just saying, okay, so it's just those people there. There's a reason why Jesus prayed what he prayed on the cross. Because every synagogue, they prayed the Psalms primarily. They sung the Psalms primarily. So that in the most impactful moment of Jesus' earthly life, it comes out of him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which doesn't end there. If you, The song ends with, he has done it. It's a victory song of God coming and delivering in a time of despair, and that's where Jesus' heart went. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, in order to be a Christian, you must pray. I'm just saying, if all of the people of God, for all of the history of the people of God, have found this the place to learn how to pray, it might be a fruitful place for us to go. We come up here, and I want to read this uh, thing from Bonhoeffer. Go ahead. Yeah. It, it just also struck me um, through, throughout the whole psalm, um, it resonates so much with um, the, the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, which is yeah. the Lord's Prayer. Like all the, all the pieces are there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, if you want to jumpstart your prayer life or what we're talking about, this is all in the section of rhythm. If you want a good rhythm for your life, I encourage you to do what has been done for 2,000 years. That is sometime in your day praying the Lord's Prayer. And again, personalize it. You know, sometimes I'll just pray it. But I love a little prayer app that I've got. will say, uh, you know, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it says, now praise God for something. And I like that in recent weeks, I haven't just rushed through it. I'll just stop there and say, is there something I've read? Is there something I've seen in you? Is there something that, that my wife has displayed, which has constantly happened, that I can turn it into praise? And just stop for a second. Pray the Lord's Prayer and pray a psalm a day. If you just did that, and again, pray off of it. I'm not just talking about reciting it. It becomes personal and it becomes our own, right? He'll talk more about that in the next section on this. Let, let, me, let me let Bonhoeffer throw in a couple words here and then we'll wrap up. From page 44, at least in my edition. 
from ancient times in the church, a special significance has been attached to the praying of psalms together. You notice Mark has been doing that with us, by the way. We often begin with a, with a prayer of a psalm, and we often end with a prayer of the church. In many churches to this day, the psalms are used at the beginning of every service of daily worship together. Again, that's become a practice of us. The practice has been lost to a large extent, unfortunately, and we must now recover the meaning of praying the psalms. The psalms occupy a unique place in all the Holy Scriptures. It is God's Word, and with few exceptions, it is at the same time the prayer of human beings. Isn't that amazing? Again, too much. We're we're running out of time, so I'd like to spend more time on this part. But I remember a dear, dear friend of mine, his name's David uh, David Pounds. He was started as an intern and then uh, ended up being the, the guy who replaced me in campus ministry in Texas. Now he's a preacher in West Texas. But I'll never forget, he taught me one time. He said, this is what I learned in journaling. Now, I'm not a huge journaler, but I'll do it some. He said, I, I journaled for a while, and then I went back and read my journals for about two months ago, and God convicted me with the words I wrote down. And he said, here's what blew me away. What started out as my word to God ended up being turned around, and God gave it back to me as God's word to me. Isn't that kind of cool? Now, that shouldn't have surprised any of us because there's 150 of us. Isn't this amazing? 150 times, at least, it started with David or Asaph or some person in the community of God crying out to God, and God says, okay, I'm going to shape that and craft it in the Christian community, in, in in the faith community enough to give it back to you as my word to you. Isn't that amazing? And that can happen in our own prayer life. We can pray to God, and God will turn around and give it right back to us. There is a reason that these prayers have been sanctified and said, hey, go here. Pray your own prayers too, but go here. Um, Two other bits of wisdom, and then we'll wrap up. Page 45, this is what I love. Um, His advice is stick with what you do understand. If you pray the Psalms, if you're like me, there'll be a bunch of stuff that makes no sense, or it's very specific to them, and I don't get it. So here's what he says. The practical thing to say here would be that people in this situation should first stick to the Psalms they can understand and pray, pray, and that in reading the other Psalms, they should quite simply learn to overlook what is incomprehensible and difficult in Holy Scripture. I love that permission. Isn't that great? Stick with what you can understand right now. Can't understand it yet. It's okay. Holy Spirit will give that to you another time, or it doesn't matter right now, right? Returning again and again to what is simple and understandable. I love that little, he's got a great pastoral heart. Don't beat yourself up. Doesn't make sense. Just keep going. There's another psalm. And this is the, the last thing I give you. And again, this, this is in the category of Bonhoeffer gives us some deep jewels, nuggets. I don't know if you've done this before, but I've read through, and I'm praying the Psalms, and I get to those places where either he's just totally beaten up on his enemies. Have you seen those? Right? So it's like nuke Iran or whatever. And then there are other ones where he's like, not only is he blasting his enemies, he's proclaiming his own innocence. I'm blameless. I'm good. These people are evil. So be nice to me and be mean to them. I don't know about you, but I don't need to pray prayers like that. That's just me because my heart's messed up enough. So I don't need to go there. But this is, I've never heard this before in my life. I've offered this as a, as a jewel. The difficulty actually indicates that we have in praying these psalms. The point at which we may get our first glimpse of the secret of the psalms. All right, lean in close. Bonhoeffer is teaching us something. The psalms that will not cross our lips as prayers, those that make us falter and even offend us, make us suspect, and I get chills when I see this, that here, someone else is praying. Not we. That the one who is here affirming his innocence, who is calling for God's judgment, who has come to such infinite depths of suffering, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Wow. 
Now, this isn't just some mystical weird thing. He's saying, if it's true, if all the promises of Christ are true, that the Holy Spirit's in you, and the Holy Spirit is in us, when we pray the Psalms together and we cry out as blameless and innocent, we can actually pray those prayers and say, and now I do it. I read it, Jesus, I can't say this, but would you pray it for me? Isn't that good? I can't trust my judgment on anything, but Jesus, would you be the one who judges? Would you be the one who declares innocent? Will you be the one who steps in? Isn't that great? And in that moment, it's this beautiful, I've never thought about that before. When I can't pray it, can I just let Jesus pray in that moment? And then he says, we know this, Romans says he'll pray for us. I never thought maybe he might even pray for us using the prayers he's given the church for 2,000 years. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I love that. I offer that as a gift to you. So I end with this. Don't make it hard. Again, the pastoral wisdom of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I got a dear friend of mine, I know I've mentioned this before, who went through such a difficult season in his life, he couldn't turn his heart to prayer, so all he did for a year was pray the Lord's Prayer. That's all he did. He said, I cannot, in good conscience, pray any of my own words. He just prayed that. Do you know at the end of that year, he was closer to God than he had been in a long time? Pick something small, pray it, and make it your own. Do a psalm a day. Did you know there are tons of little apps you can click on that will give you a psalm a day and do something else? not saying you have to do it. I'm just saying there's an invitation for thousands and thousands of years of people stepping into these houses, hanging the picture frames on the wall, and making it their own. I invite you to do that as well. Let me end with this. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Your greatness, God, no one can fathom. We thank you. We thank you for giving us an entire school of prayer in the history of your people. But most importantly, for your son, Jesus Christ, who literally prays with us every time we turn our hearts to you. In the name of this Jesus, we pray. Amen. See you next week.